Hi, everyone. My guest today is Allie Payne. And Allie Payne, um, I hope you enjoy this. Uh, she gets really real about uh, uh, the broken open question in this podcast and how it ha has served her in the work that she's currently doing. So if you are struggling in a relationship, uh, this podcast is for you. Now, if you're struggling in a relationship with your parents as a teenager or with your teenagers as a parent, this podcast is really for you. I hope you enjoy it. Hello, friends. Welcome to season two of the Broken Open podcast. I'm Maureen Towns, author, speaker, expert on finding calm amidst chaos of helping those that you love with mental health and addictions issues. If you like what you hear on this podcast, be sure to subscribe so that you're the first to know when new episodes are released and visit maureentowns.com to get in touch, stay current on our programs, Footsteps for Families and Freedom from Intergenerational Trauma, as well as updates on the book, which has just been released called Broken Open. I hope you enjoy the show. Hi, Allie. Welcome to Broken Open. How are you doing? I am doing well. I'm so excited about this project that you are doing and just to be part of it. Thank you for this opportunity. I just am so passionate about helping you and getting this message out there because I think it's so needed. Man, that's so nice of you. Thank you. Thanks for coming on on the podcast. Absolutely. So let's start with, we'll get into you and your work and your background a little bit, but First, I'd like to ask you the broken open question, which is, take us to a time when you experienced some kind of adversity in your life that at the time felt catastrophic, like the end of the world, mm -hmm. that in hindsight has proven to be a real gift. Mm. I decided, I was thinking about this before we got on today, and, and there's a couple of them, but I think the fact that I'm here with you, I would need to go to use the example, apparently I can't talk, I'm sorry. I would choose the moment of attempting suicide. Ooh, mm -hmm. tell us about that. Yeah, I was 17, mm -hmm. I was in grade 11. It's known as the grade 11 year in air quotes. I had been on the receiving end of significant negative messaging for, for years, I am a survivor of generational trauma, emotional trauma, and at the time didn't know I'm an empath and I'm also an HSP, a highly sensitive person. Mm -hmm. So negative emotional messaging really literally stuck to me like Velcro until I allowed it to become part of my narrative of who I was and define me. Mm -hmm. Until the point, although trying some not very constructive coping mechanisms to stop it, which looked like a whole bunch of yelling and conflict in my home, because I didn't know how else to stop it other than yelling back at it, mm -hmm. I got to a point where I hated every part of myself. Ooh. I remember I was skipping school. I went from being a straight A student to almost failing out mm -hmm. over a period of a couple of years, uh, which culminated in this moment. But I remember just prior to that, sitting in the vice principal's office at my high school, probably because of skipping school. I literally, I don't think I attended a single Monday of class in grade 11. And I don't even remember what he was saying. I just remember sitting across from him and he was asking me questions and thinking, it doesn't matter what I say, I hate you so much. Mm. There, I hate every word you're thinking. I hate every word you're gonna say. Mm. I remember my peripheral vision seeing, I'm sitting in a chair and I remember my peripheral vision seeing my thighs and my knees bending down and thinking, you're fat, you're ugly, you're a piece of crap. 
I, I can't hate you anymore. Wow. And shortly after that led to uh, attempted suicide, um, which I've, I'm choosing not to give the graphic detail because I don't want to support people who are wondering how they might do that. Mm-hmm. All I can say, all I, I'd like to say about that is that um, I, of course, waited until I was alone in, in the house. And I don't know what happened, whether I chickened out or divine intervention. I think it was probably a bit of both. But in that moment, sitting on the floor in my kitchen, Mm-hmm. I froze. And I, when I mean I froze, I mean, I became filled. It was like I was filled with lead. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't move anything except for my eyes. Mm-hmm. Literally, I could not move my legs. I could not move my arms. I couldn't, I couldn't move anything but my eyes. And sitting on the linoleum floor with my back against the really rough chimney of our living room on the other side. And all I could do was, and I would probably went on for about 20 minutes, half an hour, that I just couldn't move. Mm. And I was a very spiritual person then, I, I still am. And I do believe that was God saying, you're not done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You've actually, this is the beginning. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah that was so that question. that was sort of did you hear that or was that just a, a knowing for you or like how did that I don't think in the moment it was a knowing okay. I don't think in a moment it was knowing so remember where I was coming from was hating every cell in my body yeah what happened for me then was sort of twofold it was a on one hand it was hmm okay, well, I guess you chickened out. Mm. I guess, I guess it's not happening tonight. Mm. And then, and then equally on the other hand was this, this isn't, it wasn't meant to be. Okay. I just wasn't meant to do this. Okay. So there was a, you're weak and you suck and you chickened out. And then there was, but at the, I remember it sort of just being a, shrugging my shoulder. Okay. Well, hmm. I'm still, I'm still here. Yeah. So, so, so now what? Yeah. So how long after that, did you start to process that and make sense of that as, as having like meaning for you and what was, and the meaning is you're not done. And it was quite, <sighs> it was a process. I'm not sure when I realized the meaning of it, but I do remember thinking after that, I remember thinking, okay, well, I'm still here. Yeah. And this way of living and thinking and feeling sucks so hard. I can't even explain it. And I don't want to live like this anymore. So now what? Mm -hmm. And it was actually my aunt bless her, she had given me uh, an agenda, mm-hmm. a duetanged agenda, which actually years later were the same kind that our kids used to get in school every year. Um, so I don't know, she was a teacher, she got me this agenda. And I don't even know when she gave it to me. But I decided, okay, I need to create some structure in my life that will support me to feel better. And I don't know why, but I just knew it was that agenda. So this was February, February, I believe of my grade 11 year. And I picked up the agenda and I just started using it every day, like religiously. Mm-hmm. It went to school with me. It went everywhere with me. And because it was intended for school, I could write all my classes down. Mm-hmm. I could write all of my grades down. I could write all of my homework down. And what I knew about me in the moment, I don't know how I knew this was I was trying to store too much in my brain. Mm. I was trying to keep track of everything in my brain. And I was so overwhelmed. I couldn't deal with what I needed the most important part about hating myself. So I took all of the logistic things out of my brain mm. and I put them on paper. Mm-hmm. That part of my life could go on paper. I'm also very visual. 
and didn't realize at the time that I had a lot of anxiety produced from this. And that helped me feel less anxious because I could see everything written down. Mm -hmm. I knew how I was doing. I didn't have to remember what was for homework. And I started going to school. I started participating in class because I was and doing the homework as I was writing it down. And I still failed a class that year. But I'll tell you what, going into the summer, I knew then if I could just get my through myself through the last few months of grade 11, if I could just, just make it through, I wasn't going to get back to straight A's, but just make it through. Then I could have the summer to kind of sort, start to really sort myself mm -hmm. and start over. And I went back to straight A's in grade 12 and winning athletic awards as well. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That's a wild story. So you were a straight A student. Mm -hmm. What do you, and you had some negative messaging as a kid, we, which I, I, a lot of that. Yeah. I relate to that. Yeah. Um, and then, and, and you, and it stuck to you like glue. I relate to that. I mean, I'm still have, I'm still battling that honestly. Mm -hmm. Like it just seems mm -hmm. just to like, Oh, I'm always like, is that true? And then what do you attribute this sort of like a culmination of all of these feelings sort of hitting you in grade 11 to the point where you had such self-loathing mm -hmm. and you were failing and you're in the mm -hmm. principal's office and you're truant and like what do you think made that like why all of a sudden the plummet do you do you know oh absolutely yeah it actually started in grade nine um so i entered the ib program international baccalaureate i was yep. a gifted student and i entered that program and that's when it started. Oh, okay. I, my father also skipped grades. He was high intelligence. I'm, I'm very fortunate that way. I was supposed to skip grades. Um, they socially decided against it. So um, I sailed through school. Okay. I did very well in school and it was easy for me. Got it. And all of a sudden, mm -hmm. in grade nine, and I hit IB, the International Baccalaureate Program, and it wasn't easy. Mm -hmm. And I didn't, Number one, I didn't have any coping techniques from an academic perspective. Okay. Got it. I, I had no study skills. I had no nothing. It was, mm -hmm. has always just been easy. Yeah. Number two, I had no emotional coping skills mm -hmm. to know what it was like to not get straight A's. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that feeling of not knowing. <laughs> yeah. I get and this. it was horribly frightening for me. Um, it was not okay to not know yes uh for me and a lot of my messaging asking for help was weak it was very wrong and so i didn't know how to i was terrified of authority mm -hmm. i didn't know how to ask for help and so really it just was a downward i i made it through grade nine pedaling hard and hiding it grade 10 things started to crumble and then it was eventually by grade 11 i just couldn't I just couldn't, it was, I was under too much of a mountain of failure, mm -hmm. not knowing how to cope with that academically or emotionally and all of the messaging on top. It just, yeah, became too much. That's wild. Mm -hmm. There was perfection and perfection. Those were the two modes that I perceived were allowed. And this is the trouble with a gifted child, right? Like, I mean, because mm -hmm. you don't develop the skills for failure, mm -hmm. um, asking for help, you just feel like you should know. And then when it all hits, and you don't have the skills to even like, I, I love this, you know, you got the agenda out, and you started writing things down. Mm -hmm. Okay, this is, this is the strategies that most kids learn back here. Mm -hmm. But that you just never needed. Mm -hmm. It just all came really easy. And you just sailed through. Yeah. And it's an emotional thing though, too, because being raised in my experience of the two modes that were allowed was perfection and perfection, mm. a straight A's or straight A's was what was allowed. Yeah. Uh, I got a report card in grade seven and I had one B and I got in trouble for that. Wow. And so it was an emotional coping as well. My construct was there was nothing allowed outside of knowing and straight A's that that was a lot, everything else was fight or flight. I'm dying. 
I'm a terrible person. I'm a, there just wasn't anything. So growing up, uh, it's why I've raised, raised our children to, we talk and about and celebrate failure. Mm. We talk about and we laugh about, and you know, my husband and I are always bringing in stories of, oh yeah, that time I totally bombed that test and I failed mm. this, so that they're constantly hearing from us about when we quote air quote failed, mm-hmm. and look, we're still here, we survived, mm-hmm. and it feels crappy in the moment, and we're okay, yeah, and and we love you just unconditional love as opposed to a very conditional love. Oh, good for you, mm-hmm. and now. Um, I, I think that probably, uh, you know, contributed to your passion for working mm. with teens. 100%. That being such a tough time for you. Yes, 100%. 100%. So I was, uh, again, I was extremely intelligent. I was, I literally had to be moving all the time. I was very active, wildly creative, writing, painting in every sport you can imagine. And I had more energy than there was hours in a day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I had a pension for freedom. So put those two together. I was drinking by the time I was 13 yeah. and started skipping school, like I said, by the time I was 15. And I'd have, I had so much pain and trauma that, again, the only way I knew to try, I knew I had to try and stop it, but I wasn't. And I knew specifically what was wrong. Again, I think being born and being an empath and an HSP, a highly sensitive person, I had a very high emotional intelligence, even though I didn't have an emotional vocabulary. I knew I could watch relationships. I I always felt like I was different. I could watch a relationship happening and I could almost guess what someone was going to say emotionally in response to something and I could watch people's faces and I knew how they were feeling and I didn't understand why people were so mean to each other mm-hmm. and and because that was my own experience so as a troubled teen who felt that that there was just some things that were going on that should not be going on mm-hmm. um, it is most definitely my passion having then recovered also um, from eating disorders and um, anxiety and a lot that that precipitated from my experience growing up, it is so important to me to help parents, now that I am a parent as well of two teen boys, help parents, number one, build the relationship skills to parent in a way that does not pass on emotional And that's not about intelligence. Okay. I'm I'm not saying that no one in the school, like the school system, we're not teaching relationship skills at a level that they are required for successful quote life Mm -hmm. that we expect of our adolescents. And yet we're not teaching it. And excuse me, generational trauma is so common um, that, and scientifically we repeat what we know. And so we just keep doing it over and over. When we get relationships right at home, I truly believe we will change the world. Mm. When we get it right at home, we will change the world. Mm. And so I am, am going to be helping parents understand the relationship skills that again, not from intelligence, but that they were never taught Mm -hmm. so that, and translating for them what it is like to be that troubled teen Mm. and what the teenager emotionally, cognitively wants and needs, but has yet to develop the vocabulary or maturity to ask for or express what's going on. Mm -hmm. That is 100% why I do what I do. I believe we're gonna get hurt in emotional, emotionally from families, hurting our feelings, of course, like those people are gonna push our buttons (laughs) more than anybody else. Mm -hmm. I do not, and will not on my watch agree that emotional trauma or generational trauma is the norm. You don't think it's the norm. I, I, I will not stand for it being the norm. In okay. My lifetime. It's unacceptable. Unacceptable. Got it. it no, not on okay. my watch. Not on your watch. So tell us about the work that you do. What do you do now? Thank you. <laughs> I work with primarily parents right now, although I do have teen programs coming 
it's a bit of a dichotomy because half of my audience, whether that's an email list or social media is parents and the mm -hmm. other half is teenagers. So I, I get both <laughs> and yeah. I absolutely love it. Yes. Because I do think that change can come from both directions. I do yeah. not hold parents 100% responsible for changing the relationship. Absolutely not. So what I do is um, I am, I create programs for parents. Right now I have a five day challenge that I do live to take parents five days through really simple, powerful tools in mm -hmm. five different areas of parenting that in my experience as the teen and the parent, I think make the greatest difference. I have a larger eight week parenting mastermind that really helps parents, whether they're things are going swimmingly and they want to prepare for the teen years or they're experiencing some really significant challenges anywhere on that spectrum is fine. Mm -hmm. And to dig or dig even deeper and mm -hmm. really look at what this relationship with their teenager is and what they want to create with it. And then what might they need to know in that process to, to do that. So that's what I'm doing now. I do work with a few, although a, a, a small few individual clients, both teenagers and parents. Mm -hmm. And since with COVID and, and everything going on, a lot of it is done, of course, on video and on phone. I did used to work with couples, uh, married couples and families in person. That mm -hmm. just isn't the case right now. Mm -hmm. And as I mentioned, I will have a teen programming program coming out, hopefully by May or June. Mm -hmm. because there's just such a huge cry for that and in the future and in alignment I think with what you're doing I'm also looking at creating a, a parenting program that goes even deeper and it is about really looking at self and wait a minute what is it about me and my upbringing that is creating part of the experience that I'm having in my life and my relationship with my teens that feels very painful. And mm -hmm. I, I don't, I say, I don't want it, but it keeps showing up. Mm -hmm. So that will be an additional step to that. I also do a lot of speaking and a lot of workshops and mm -hmm. I am talking about relationships all day long and I freaking love it. Yeah. You know, you can <laughs> tell, you can tell, I mean, your passion for the work comes through loud and clear. Thank and you. I, you know, it sounds like you're talking a lot about, like you say, it's not, we don't, we don't know how to teach it to our kids because we didn't learn it ourselves. A lot yes. about emotional literacy, yes. you know, what, what, do, what, how am I feeling? Yes. Uh, how do I handle that? And then the communication skills around right. that. So the emotional literacy and communication sounds like a big part of what you're up to with parents and with teens. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And Absolutely. And I, yeah, yeah. self-advocacy mm. is for both parents and teens, but self-advocacy, I feel like is something that was missing. And this is something that I'm always teaching just on my social media is we need to be really careful as parents, how we are portraying authority. Mm -hmm. Now I get dissed for this all the time. So I'm just going to say it. I am a wildly boundaried person and parent. I call myself the mean mom. Like you don't have to wonder where I stand. <laughs> yeah. And authority in previous generations has been played out as all consuming, commanding control, mm. et cetera. And so both now, now parents, our generation and, and are repeating this, that, my word is my word is the word and don't ever speak up against it. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you see the inherent issue with that is that then no one is learning self-advocacy. Mm -hmm. So, so I'm trying to get parents to find the, the middle ground where you can be firmly boundaried 100%. And I support that. Mm -hmm. And how does your child learn to speak up that in a way that you don't perceive it as always talking back. Mm -hmm. So they learn to self-advocate. I'm trying to get par parental family relationships into that space. Mm -hmm. Not everything's a debate. No, not everybody, but, 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 but we certainly can have a discussion. 100%. Yeah. Yes. You know, I think about, uh, you know, uh, how I was when my kids were teenagers and how I communicated. And, and I know that I went to that command and control because I said, so uh, it's a battle of wits and I'm going to win. 
you know, mm-hmm. one of us is going to leave crying and isn't going to be me, you know, like that I, kind of attitude. Oh, um, and I usually got, to, <laughs> I usually got to that point just out of sheer frustration. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when everything I, else I tried didn't work, it's because I said so. Mm-hmm. Now mm-hmm. get to it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, like, I really, I'm trying to think back how did I know I needed help with parenting? God, I knew I needed help, but I thought it was my, I thought my kids were the problem. How do I make my kids? How do you handle someone like me is what I'm the question really, Mm. you know, how do I, how do I make my kids listen? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That would have been me. Like, how do I get them to do what I know they need to do? Yeah. And that's what a lot of parents reach out to me and ask, and that's okay. That's Mm -hmm. fine because that's the first point of at least asking a question. Mm-hmm. So that's amazing. And you know what? I don't know your current situation. And maybe it is your teenager. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like it, it's a flu relationships are fluid. It's, and and I know this is wildly non-cultural in our messaging, but I don't play in the realm of fault and blame. Mm. I, I, I don't believe it serves anything. So I, I just don't entertain it. Right. This isn't about fault or blame. This is about what's happening right now. What's the impact? How mm-hmm. does it feel? And then what, what do you want? Let's mm-hmm. just, that's where I operate. So for parents who are coming to me and saying like, please, will you fix my teenager? Either that or someone here is going to get hurt. And so I'll always, I'll entertain that question. 100% mm-hmm. ask when I get the information about what is going on. That's when I equip and empower the parent as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Now, again, I'm, I don't, I don't do right, wrong, fault, blame. So I let them know this is what I think you need to do. Here's what your teenager might be hearing, mm-hmm. and it might your message might be received. If you try it this way, this might work, mm. and. You know, so it's not about saying maybe you're part of the problem because I, I don't, who am I? I, you just told me two minutes of your life story. Who, how would I know? Mm-hmm. So I don't sit in a place of judgment as much as I'm wildly opinionated. And <laughs> I don't believe that beating around the bush helps. So I'll tell you exactly what I think, but I will tell you from a, here's an equipment, here's a tool, here's how it's used. Mm-hmm. Here's the way I'd like you to frame it and use it. And just so you know, here's how your teenager's probably perceiving what's going on. And I think that's what works for me working with people is I've been in that teenager's shoes where I want nothing more than to give you the hand and maybe minus four fingers and, (laughs) you know, turn on my heel and slam my door. So I know what it's like to, to, I can speak to both sides on that. That's so valuable. It's such a specialized version of two courses that I can think of, like assertiveness training and conflict resolution. I mean, you've got, you know, and, and I love what you're saying. Like, it's not about being positional Mm -hmm. and, and being right, which is what we tend to get into. Right. I just want to defend my position and, and what you're asking people to do is let go of being right and be effective. Right. Right. (sighs) And that is a tough leap. So in the Mm -hmm. beginning, here's what I think, Maureen, I think every person just needs to hear that I believe in you. Mm. That's it. You're reaching out to me in a struggle. Mm -hmm. Reaching out about parenting is a courageous, courageous move because parenting is so personal. Mm -hmm. It is so judged. Mm -hmm. It is, it is a hot topic. So any parent that reaches out, you are wildly courageous. I don't Mm -hmm. care what the situation is. Mm -hmm. I don't thank you for being so courageous. Mm -hmm. And everyone, if they just hear, I believe in you, it's okay. I, let me just say for the record, was no perfect parent. Okay. (laughs) I was not. I did all of this healing myself. I spent 10 years, a decade, that's Mm. thousands of hours every single month in personal development because I got addicted to it. And so I was an assistant and leading to learning to lead programs, not just taking the same course over and over, although I am a slow learner. (laughs) 
I had all of that. Oh, Maureen, if you only knew what a great parent I was going to be, I was going to be perfect. They were going to be highly compliant. We were not going <laughs> to argue. They were just going to be magical little angels. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. Yeah. And if you believe that I have a whole lot of other things for you. So then I became a parent and I yeah. was like, holy crap, this is hard. And why does this poop from my past keep showing up? Mm-hmm. And that's when I got into my life coach training and certification, relationship coach training mm. and certification. And I started to understand how dysfunctional relationships are set up, mm-hmm. how to untangle them and how to heal from them. And that is when I knew that was my missing piece. And I needed to spend the rest of my life sharing this information with parents to save every single upcoming generation the trouble of going through what I went through, not because my parents are evil or mean, because but because they were doing what they knew and yes. what they were taught. Isn't that true? And so if every mm-hmm. person just hears, it's okay. Yeah. I'm sure you're doing a, you're the best you can and I believe in you. I think it helps people. And I don't say that, please, uh, to be crass. I don't say that I say it because it's what I always wanted to hear. Oh, me too. And I, I, that tends to people's ears open and they soften and are willing to hear something when we just feel like there's somebody in our corner. Mm-hmm. I love that. So non-judgmental. And so I yeah. love that you just validate the courage that it takes when a parent asks for help so much because it is really vulnerable and it is um, scary. And we, we do have a society that believes that if, if you just do all the right things, everything's going to work. And if it doesn't work, then you're at fault. Yes. Um, you must be broken. You've, you've screwed up your kid. And, and there is a fear of judgment there that keeps people quiet. And mm-hmm. um, I hear what you're saying too. You know, I, I, I ate for someone to say, man, you're doing a great job, Maureen. I know you're working really hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, this must be tough and, and keep going. You got this. Like I just, oh. Right? What would it have meant if someone- Everything. Just exactly everything. And I know I would have felt the same way. Mm-hmm. I would have felt the same way as a teenager and I would have felt the same way as a parent. And I am going to feel the same way as a human. So it is part of my mission Mm. to no matter what external role you play in this world, parent, teenager, daughter, sister, father, son, brother, that you know that you're loved Mm -hmm. and that I believe in you. Mm. That's amazing. Man, I just think, you know, I've known you over the years, mm-hmm. uh, not super well, but we've had, a, you know, our paths have crossed a few times. Yes. And I've never seen you so in your groove. Thank you. As you appear to me right now. And I've seen you as some pretty high level executive coaching, you know, <laughs> managing groups of high performers and, and, and things like that. So, I mean, you've been on quite a journey with your career. Mm-hmm. always yes. on the personal development path. Tell us a little bit about that. So you graduated high school and then what happened? Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah, so <laughs> I graduated high school and I immediately went into a program that my parents chose for me, my career, yeah. because their story about me when I, was that I was very lazy. And if I took a year off, I would never go back and probably, I don't know, end up, heaven forbid, being a blue collar worker. Yeah, okay. No, I mean, <laughs> the that. worst crime ever. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. That was not allowed in my okay. house. Yeah, that was not allowed. And so I became a biomedical electronics technologist. Mm. Because my, my parents had a friends who had a, a daughter very successful in school who did this as well. So they thought that and I was very, uh, I excelled greatly in sciences and math. and So biomedical electronics technologist is a fancy word for saying I was the repair person for every patient applied system in a hospital. Okay. From IV pumps to defibrillators to kidney dialysis machines to all that. 
I did that for seven years. I worked for, uh, I did not work in a hospital. I worked for a private company that had all the contracts with BC Ministry of Health. Mm-hmm. And I tr- was on call 24 seven, 365. There was no backup. Mm-hmm. I was 22 years old. And I traveled approximately, I drove about 80 to 100,000 kilometers per year. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you can't fly with a toolkit. <laughs> uh, they let me back then a little bit, uh, but they didn't, I couldn't have spare enough spare parts with me. And I worked uh, approximately 60 to 80 hours a week. And it, it was that that I realized I hated that life. I was 20, 22, 23, 24, living, living in Vancouver, and I had no life. I had no life. I had no friend. I had nothing because I was on the road traveling all the time and I could only work on machines when patients weren't there. So I worked alone. I traveled alone. Mm -hmm. It was a lot of alone for an extrovert. Mm -hmm. And I thought, okay, seven years in Allie, there must be something that you like about this because you haven't quit. Mm. Now, part of that was a lot of the negative messaging around authority and that I was worthless. So how could I possibly, and the constant messaging, you can't quit jobs all the time because your resume will look terrible and then you won't get hired. That was a big message too. And I finally realized, okay, what is it you like about this? And I got to, it was empowering people. I loved, by that time, I had also gone to the Ministry of Health and said, look, I'm on call 24 seven. I'm getting all these ridiculous calls at two and three in the morning that are just not necessary. You are doing an amazing job at the clinical training for these patients, but quite frankly, the technical training that these patients should have when they are living at home in remote areas with medical equipment is wildly lacking. Mm. I will take that over. And they said, okay. And so I wrote, uh, I, I developed and delivered all home patient and nurse training Mm -hmm. for the BC Ministry of Health at 22 years old Mm -hmm. um, for the next 18 months. And I got a lot less calls at two and three in the morning. And that was a really big thing for me when I realized it was about empowering people. And so when I left that, that role and went into more kind of customer service, I ended up in technical sales for a while. Um, that was when, and actually my, my husband introduced me to personal development and started down that road where I realized, oh my goodness, this is what I've always wanted to do, which at the time I thought was an HR degree because there was no either like coaching. What, what was a coat? It just wasn't a thing then. And after 10 years in personal development, every year, almost hitting the button on getting an HR degree every year. No, I don't want to push paper. And I I don't like school. I can't pay attention that long. So my girlfriend called me and she said, I just saw these course outlines for this program happening at the university of Calgary. And I think you should take it. And my first thought was, well, obviously you're not my friend and you don't know me because my (laughs) husband is away for four months of the year. I have a two and a four-year-old and you're talking about me going back to school. Thank you. Goodbye. Mm -hmm. And I read the course outlines and they just sung to my heart. Mm. And I, that's when it started. I took all my life coach training and certification through, through the coaches training Institute. I took all my relationship coaching and training um, relationship systems through um, the center for right relationship. And that was a three-year thing of little kids and going back to school. And when I started that, I worked with families because that was what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. I worked with families. And every time one of the parents would say, you know, we have this really toxic environment at work. (laughs) You should come and do this in my workplace. Yeah. And remember, I was just starting out. We we had barely two dimes to rub together. And so um, I think, yay. So I went and did this in workplaces. Yes. 10 years later, I had worked with corporate with some wildly successful organizations and entrepreneurs, which, and doing some amazingly cool stuff. It was an incredible opportunity. Yes. But what came out of it was that people thought I was a business coach. Yeah. And I, and and I kept saying, you know, I've never taken a single business program in my life. Right. Yeah. Not, not one, not even an accounting course. (laughs) And yet the opportunity that I got was to sit in some incredibly consequential boardrooms as the only female for the most part, as the voice of the people, the voice of the culture. Mm. And so COVID happens and I lost the majority of my business because by that time I had chosen to work only with small business. I Mm -hmm. found that more rewarding Mm -hmm. and that ended. Got it. And 
all of a sudden my phone started ringing all the people I know and don't know who were parents going, oh, I can't handle my spouse. This is going crazy. Uh, and all the things that people were tolerating in their relationships yes. could overlook seriously yeah. that they were tolerating I know, was, in, I know. was in their face 24 seven. Yes. And the phone started ringing. That was March 25th. My phone started ringing off the hook and then it kind of died down a little bit. And then homeschooling virtual school was announced April 7th. My phone started ringing off the hook again. Mm-hmm. And that was when I realized that was kind of a divine opportunity, having already lost my, my business anyway, you know, Allie, I, and, and not being happy for the last eight years Mm -hmm. and please hear me. It wasn't the people I love people, but talking about business is not meaningful for me Mm because the business doesn't work if the relationships don't work. Exactly. And so I, I was desperate to get back to it. And I never would have given myself the time and I never would have given myself the opportunity had that not happened. So I did the pivot and went immediately back to relationship with a, with a very distinct focus on working with parents and teens. So it's been, um, it's been eight months of (laughs) interesting business launching. Yeah, it is. And, and I just love that each time you made a shift, you thought, well, not even, maybe not even consciously, but what do I love and how do I get more of it? Mm-hmm. And each time you ask that question, you know, it'll take you like, I love empowering people. It's not so right. much about the technology. It's about the empowering people. So I'm going to mm-hmm. become an educator and a teacher and I'm going to, you know, and then, and then you get into business coaching. And again, it's, it's, what do I love about this? It's the relationship, it's culture, you know, mm-hmm. and how do I get more of that? And yeah. And, and I hear what you're saying. COVID has, has just exacerbated issues that people could otherwise ignore. Yes. And suddenly they're all, you know, in each other's space Yes, and getting on each other's last nerve and, mm-hmm. uh, and reaching out for help. And isn't that amazing? You know, that I, I know brought you into exactly what you're meant to do. Right. And this is truly what I am here for. I've always known that, Yeah, but I was doing as many people do. I knew how to run a coaching business where people thought I was a business coach. I knew how to network that. I knew how to fill that business, which paid the bills. Yeah. And so it was safe and familiar as much as I was unhappy. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a common, um, common mode for many people. Mm-hmm. And I certainly don't judge it. I mean, it is what it is, you know? Um, yeah. So being in this position right now feels more, I thought, I no, I didn't thought, I know when I sat in my life coach training program, the very first one, I heard a voice in my head loud as you and I are talking right now. And as clear as day that said, you are home. Hmm. And I knew, I knew that was where I was supposed to be. And then first day of my relationship systems coach training, I had this vision. It didn't, it wasn't spoken word, but it was very clear. And it said essentially that, which meant life coach training, that was the foundation. Mm. This is the house you will build meaning uh, this relationship systems coach training relationship work. This is the house you will build. And as much as I felt so like so significantly and powerfully that my heart was finally home mm-hmm. then that was 14 years ago. Mm-hmm. This opportunity I sit in now feels more like having come home than I ever have. That's amazing. And I love systems theory. Like I'm a big fan and I, and you've, I'm sure have heard this kind of an analogy before too. Like a system is like a mobile and you tap one piece of the mobile and the whole thing starts to uh, compensate, right? Everybody starts to move and adjust and and try to accommodate. (laughs) And uh, you know, and, and where my work comes in is when one piece of that mobile in particular is so non-functional Mm-hmm. that everybody else becomes sort of weirdly non-functional in response and the system is really off kilter and then mm-hmm. I try and bring it back together again and um yeah because when it. the system 
I love your metaphor of the mobile because sometimes one little tap of the system, although it will always move everyone, sometimes it's not because anyone wants to be fluid. Right. For the most part, it's because we so desperately resist change <laughs> yeah. that conflict in itself is purely the leading edge of the next change. Mm -hmm. Conflict is change trying to happen. Mm -hmm. Change must have some version of conflict. If you think of every single Hollywood movie you've ever seen, there was a conflict of some kind, internal, external, culturally, globally, mm -hmm. in order for the necessary change to happen. Mm -hmm. And if we can yeah, help people to view, I'm not saying conflict is yay, let's go. But yeah, <laughs> you know, if we can just help them frame it that way. Then we'll it's never helpful. let a good conflict go to waste. Right. Wow. That's a good one. That's a great one. I love that's, that. uh, that's stolen from crisis. Never let a good crisis go to waste, but conflict is the same thing. I mean, it it, it, it's a gift. It's a, it's yeah. an opportunity to grow. It's somebody it, it's, it, it's the world telling you or the universe or your life or whatever in your mm -hmm. face saying, Hey, Hey, mm -hmm. let's try something different. And, um, yeah, yeah that's all that you just broken open. That's the whole idea. Yeah. Yeah. There's you been need to break in order to open, right? Like for sure. For sure. I did anyway. Yes. <laughs> I don't think change is too easy to resist if we're not broken open. If it's just a little nagging here and there, you know, so. Well, it, you know, I, I was talking with someone yesterday. She said, I'm a hard aholic. And I said, you know, I, I hear you. Like, you know, some of us can take a hint. I can't, I need a sledgehammer, man. And, I, and that's what it took for me to get it. Sometimes it just, because I, I got this, mm -hmm. I got this. Mm -hmm. I'll just try this, this, and this, and it usually works. Mm. Mm -hmm. Well, mm -hmm. four years of that not working. Uh, yeah. So led to something different. So, yeah. I love that you just said that because that was one of the biggest things in my way prior to becoming a life coach or and sort of relationship coach was here I was having, I'm going to air quote recovered recovery. Let me just say is a journey. I don't mm -hmm. think it's ever complete per se, but it is, is a journey. There's always additional layers. Should I be open to, to looking at them? Mm -hmm. And then I become a parent thinking, yeah, yeah. I mean, I have left all that in my past. I'm good. This is going to be all, you know, and then I'm down on my knees in tears thinking, why is this so friggin' hard? Yes. Why is this so hard? And it's only, it's only then because I, because everything kept repeating, it wasn't stopping mm -hmm. that those messages do need to show up quite often. And in so many ways, I think that was just the beginning. But then the 10 years I spent in a decade in personal development, which was when I got fascinated with the human dynamic and communication and personality styles and, and, and all of these tools. Well, that was maybe just the beginning. Like, where mm -hmm. I don't know, where, where's the beginning? I'm not sure. Cause I can tell you, I'm most left definitely not done, but <laughs> no, but I mean, you've seen, uh, so my belief is that our life experiences are here to serve ourselves and others mm -hmm. in some way. And so you've gone back to all the way back to teen years mm -hmm. and, and your family of origin and the messaging that you received there. And you've come all the way back around and learned and learned and learned. And now you're addressing families in that space, mm -hmm. you know, where, you know, you first wish you'd maybe had some help. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, and that, that, you know, I'm in the same boat. I'm now working with families in the way that I wish I had had help when mm -hmm. I most needed it. And I think that's, what else can you do except offer your very best, you know, uh, with, with passion and com compassion and empathy mm -hmm. and understanding and cheerleading and encouragement. And I love, I love what you're up to. I love it. I love that you just said that about your work. This is something that I tell people that it can be hard to believe. So when you were a teenager, I don't know if you remember what some of your top fantasies were like, like, I mean, you know, 
maybe like having a horse was one of mine or whatever. But <laughs> do you want to know what my my number one or number two was? What? Going to family counseling. Oh wow. That was my fantasy. I used to fantasize about it every day um, because I thought it was the only way things were going to change was to have my family be in a position where someone else was in a higher place of authority uh, to actually tell, uh, help my family and, and say what was out of bounds and not okay. And what was, I used to fantasize about it every single day. Wow. That's so interesting. Mine was freedom. Well, yes, that, that would have created freedom, but yeah, interesting. Freedom, All I yeah. knew is I wanted freedom. I didn't feel yeah. free. And I, and now I coach people to freedom. Mm-hmm. from chaos. And that's the way I describe my work. I mean, isn't that interesting? Yeah. So on that note, Miss Allie, um, is there anything that you want to promote at this time? I Well, again, so I do a five-day challenge. I created this five-day challenge and in seven weeks or so, there was already, almost 500 people went through it. It really just blew my mind. <laughs> and I decided that I wanted to take it live because it's so important to me that to provide value so that people can truly, if they're going to come to me for anything, whether it's free or, or it's nine, 10, I don't care that they see results, that they get the understanding they need. And when, when I'm stressed, I don't know about you, even simple things feel hard. So mm-hmm. talk to me like I'm four is what I say. So yeah. I am now doing this live and uh, I'm going, I'm doing it live February 1st to 5th. I don't know when the next date will be, but it will be approximately eight weeks. So people can get on a wait list for that. Mm. Um, and it's live five days in a row with me going over simple, powerful tools, all the resources, material. Um, and that's $9. And then wow. I do have, I, <laughs> I want people to be able to come and, and get help immediately. Yeah. Immediate. And, and I decided the, the best way to do that is to do it with me personally. Okay. And my empowered parent mastermind program, again, it, start, it starts February 9th and it, it will likely run again sometime in April or May. So I'd watch out for that. In the meantime, always check my website, all my social feeds. I'm at Allie Payne, A-L-Y-P-A-I-N on Instagram, TikTok, um, Pinterest uh, and other things that I will always be sharing. There's lots of free content on my website as well. Lots of free webinars where people can come and just start to get, just lean in, just lean in and get a start. Fantastic. So this episode will be um, um, released after the programs that you talked about. So I love that you're, we're going to have the the website and everything in the show notes so that people can keep an eye and look for March, April, etc. programs. Yes. Yes. Perfect. Awesome. Well, thank you so, so much for coming on Broken Open today. It's been a pleasure chatting with you and uh, getting to know you better. So thank you very, very much for the work that you're doing. Absolutely. This is, it's been a privilege. Thank you for having me and thank you for, for what you are doing in the world. It's, we need a lot more of it. Thank you. Yeah. Friends, thanks for listening. And if you liked this episode, please be sure to click on the thumbs up below for YouTube and comment. What did you like most? And what do you want to hear more of? I'd love to hear from you. And in case you missed it, the website is maureentowns.com. Bye.